happy Monday. It's Cordelia. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is We Heal Together. This week's episode, we are talking about people pleasing and conformity. Super excited. We're going to get into overviews of both. And then I'm going to give you some tips at the end. Also, at the end of the podcast, I'm going to tell you about the workbook that I wrote for anybody going through a divorce or a breakup. Let's get healing. So let's get right into it. Like I said, this podcast episode is about people pleasing as well as conformity because I think that they really kind of go hand in hand. So I want to start off this episode with a quote. If you spend your life pleasing others, you spend your life. I saw that quote. It was credited to Cheryl Richardson. So what is a people pleaser? A people pleaser is somebody who tries really hard to make other people happy. They go out of their way to please somebody, to please anybody else, even if that means taking away from themselves, so taking away from their own resources, their own needs, their own time. And generally, people pleasers often act this way because of their own insecurities and their self-esteem. And self-esteem comes into play because generally a people pleaser is going to think or feel, hey, I don't have anything to offer, so I need to prioritize this other person. I'm not important. My needs aren't important. My wants aren't important. I'm not as important as this other person. Essentially, interpreting, helping, or giving into the demands of other people, or ignoring your own needs and wants because you're just trying to find something to offer this other person to keep them around. Some signs of being a people pleaser. Number one, if you rank what your needs and wants are below everybody else, you're probably a people pleaser. So this could be romantically, professionally, coworker, parent, child, friendship. That's the biggest thing. Frankly, if you answer yes to that, then you really don't need to dig any further. Here's some other things that I would encourage you to ask yourself in exploring whether or not you may or may not be a people pleaser. Do you rearrange your schedule for other people? Do you do things you don't want to do? Do you change or downplay your point of view to appease other people around you? 
do you compliment people even if you don't mean it so that they'll like you? Do you apologize for even small things? For example, you're supposed to meet me at 8.30 and you walk in at 8.32 and you're like, I'm so sorry I was late. Do you get anxious at the thought of other people being mad at you? Do you find yourself saying things like, are you mad at me? Sometimes if you're around other people, you'll laugh if everybody else is laughing, even if you don't think it's funny at all. You offer to help somebody even if you don't want to. You're living a life that's misaligned with your values. So you're breaking values for other people, things that you hold as a value to yourself. And then later on, you're kind of feeling regretful about it. You, do you feel responsible for other people's emotions? Is there a little voice inside of you? Or maybe even that you're saying out loud that you're, or another person thinking, are they happy? How can I make them happy? You don't have your own opinion at all. Saying no actually terrifies you, like it scares you. How does people-pleasing impact mental health in general? If you are a people pleaser, people are going to take advantage of you, or they often will. You are going to have an increased risk of burnout because if you think about it, you're neglecting all of your own needs. So, of course, that's going to increase your risk of burnout. Many people feel a loss of integrity, a loss of identity. You don't even really know who you are because you're just kind of going with whatever everyone else wants, a loss of self-respect, and low self-esteem, which also is correlated with depression. It can lead to an inability to sustain healthy relationships with healthy boundaries. You can have a misalignment with your life, with your values. Many people who are people pleasers have really, they struggle with time management skills. So they find it hard to have enough time to do the stuff they like because they're too busy doing stuff for everyone else. Inability to make decisions and inability to reach personal goals because you're too busy caring for others. So I decided in this episode, I also wanted to cover a little bit of conformity before I get into the tip about how to live a life, how to step out of that role of being a people pleaser if that's a role you've always been. The reason I decided to put conformity in here is because I genuinely feel like conformity and people pleasing they're very similar. And there's been a lot of psychological studies about conformity. So I thought, I want to go ahead and put this in here because I think it's really beneficial in 
a lot of you may find it very helpful in the topic of people pleasing. So what is conformity? Conformity is the tendency for an individual to align their attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors with those of the people around them. It's often used to indicate an agreement to the majority position, brought about by either a desire to fit in or to be liked, or because of a desire to be correct, or simply to conform to a social role. There are four major types of conformity. The first is compliance, also called group acceptance. You conform to the majority in public in spite of not really agreeing with them. So the reason I put that in this episode about people-pleasing is this happens all the time. You could be with a group of friends. You could be with your family. You could be in a work meeting. And I think this goes hand-in-hand with people-pleasing where you don't agree with everybody in the group but you're just being compliant. You are just going along with what the group says. A famous psychologist, Solomon Ash, did some line studies where he looked into this type of conformity. So these studies were set up. The subjects in the studies were told, hey, we're going to be studying we're setting a perceptual concept. So this is a perceptual experiment. The people in the study were asked to then choose a line that matched the length of the other three lines. So imagine just like three lines are drawn on a board and then there's this fourth line and the participants were asked, hey, this fourth line which of those original three lines is doesn't match? Like, which is it identical to? When asked individually, they would choose the correct line. However, Ash also would had a a group that he hired like seven actors to pose as fellow participants. So the person would go into the room and instead of being alone, there were seven other actors. So there's eight people in the room. One person is the research participant and the other seven people are actors. However, the research participant doesn't know they're actors. He just thinks, oh, we're all in this study together and you know, he has no clue that they're in on the study. Instead of being asked individually, each person was asked to state aloud, okay, which line does that match? And the real participant was sat at the end, and he gave, he or she gave her answer last, or their answer last. So when they In that setting, when they were with these seven other actors, the actors would purposely all say an incorrect line. And just so you know, like that, it was always obvious 
it was always like the correct answer was always obvious. In that setting, 76% of participants conformed at least once. And on average, about one third, 32% of the participants who were placed in this room with the seven actors conform with the clearly incorrect majority. Second type of conformity is identification. In this, individuals conform to the expectation of a social role. So nurses, police officers, it's similar to what we just covered because they are just changing in front of the group or in front of society, but not changing in private. The big famous study here is the Zimbardo Prison Study. This was done in 1971 at Stanford. So he created a simulated prison environment. He had 24 male students, and this was set up in the basement at Stanford. So he recruited these 24 students. They were all white males, and they were evaluated to be psychologically stable, and they were paid for the experiment. And I mean, they're they all didn't really have any criminal backgrounds and they were healthy and middle class. Um, he literally had them fake arrested. And once they were brought to the basement of the psych building at Stanford, which he had created into this prison, they were assigned roles. So some were made to be prisoners and some were made to be guards. And I mean, this experiment was pretty crazy. Like when the people who were assigned to be prisoners arrived, he actually had some of them stripped. And so the people were like naked upon arrival and then given uniforms. The prisoners were called ID numbers rather than their names. And this entire experiment was videotaped as well. And then the guards were all given like matching guard uniforms. And FYI, after the fifth day, like parents of a lot of the subjects of the trial came and I guess they had caught wind of it. I don't honestly know how they found out about it, but they threatened to call an attorney and, you know, there's a lot of criticism around this trial in this psychology study in terms of ethics, (laughs) Um, understandably. He claims that people were allowed to leave but some subjects claimed they weren't allowed to leave and they were coerced to stay um with all that being said i just wanted to to let you know the results that they found was within less than two days so you know less than 48 hours participants began to internalize their role so the guards started to abuse their power over the quote-unquote prisoners and get really angry and then prisoners fought back there were physical punishments there were they made them do a lot of push-ups things like that the guards began asserting their authority 
there was one, I think one of the days they like woke up the prisoners at 2.30 a.m. to kind of show their dominance. On the second day, the prisoners started asserting their independence and the guards actually put the leader in what they called like a solitary place. So essentially the results they found were, hey, people are going to conform to the social roles that they are expected to play. The third type of conformity is internalization. And in this, a person is going to publicly change their behavior to fit in with a group, but then they also agree with them privately. So this is really like a deep, deep level of conformity because the beliefs of the people around you actually become what you believe in private, so your individual belief system. The big study involved with this type of conformity is from Sheriff in 1953. He asked people to estimate how far a light in a dark room moved. So the light didn't actually move, but it just appeared to because of the autokinetic effect. This is where there's a small spot of light projected onto a screen in a dark move. It's going to appear to move, even though it's not moving at all. So, I mean, think of it as like a visual illusion. Basically, there's like tiny movements in your eye, and it makes it appear that there's like a small spot of light that's moving, but it's not. So when he asked the people individually, people's answers varied considerably. But when asked as a group, people converged their answer. So people reached a common estimate of this apparent motion of the dot of the light. And then the kind of crazy aspect of this experiment is later on when they were asked individually again, they kept that same estimate even when they were doing it alone so that showed they were conforming with the group and then they were internalizing it and keeping it down the road whereas comparing that to people who were just asked individually and this group stuff wasn't involved answers just varied you know all over the place last type of conformity is ingratiational This is when a person conforms to impress or gain favor or acceptance from other people. In all these studies and types of conformity, the two biggest reasons for conformity that they've come up with is, one, normative, wanting to fit in with a group in fear of being rejected, or two, informational, so lacking the knowledge of what's being talked about so you just go to the group for guidance like I said that is my little segment on conformity I thought that's important to keep in mind that there has been scientific research about conformity and I really think it plays in with people pleasing and kind of making you more aware like hey fellow listener friend sister brother human You're not alone. People have been conforming for a long time. And I would argue most conformity has some people pleasing it in it as well. 
And it's just a good reminder that when you're in a group of people, when you're in your family and everybody's saying one thing and you don't agree with it, there's nothing the matter with you. You know, I think there's some comfort as you're kind of coming and learning and healing this aspect of people pleasing to think like, wow, you know, Cordelia told me about all these studies and it kind of makes sense that everybody around me is acting this way because according to those studies, like, that seems to be human nature. And that seems, you know, that that's pretty on point with it. And so I'm just going to remind myself, like, I'm not going to be the 75% of people that is looking at a line and can see reality and can see what the length of the line is, but everybody else is saying something else. So I just jump in. Like I'm going to step out of that and I'm going to start living my truth and speaking the truth. So that's my little science rant. I want to get now into the tip on healing. So this is the tip on healing from people pleasing. Number one, ask where your need for approval comes from. I saw an amazing quote the other day, and it said, parent pleasers become people pleasers. So much truth to that. To that. I think as you're healing from people pleasing, it's really important to think, where is this coming from? Your parents may not have accepted you as a child. You might have felt like you had to be somebody else to get your parents' approval. Or even not your parents. Maybe people at school didn't accept you. And you felt like you had to be somebody else for your classmates to like you. Maybe one of your parents got really mad. Like if you wanted something different to eat or if you disagreed with them. Like any situation that you can think of from childhood where you started to realize that whatever you wanted was being put on the back burner. You were taught and you learned that whoever else, like in my examples, this parent or your classmate, They were more important than you. So tip number two, once you know the origin, try to remind yourself like, okay, as an adult now, my partner, my friends, my boss, my colleagues, they are almost all very different from the people that gave me these anxieties in the first place. Tip number three, learn to say no. I saw another amazing quote the other day that was like, no is a complete sentence. That's so hard to think about and to hear, but it's true. And if you've struggled saying no before, I want you to remember you have a choice and you don't have to say yes. 
tip number four. Add some time before you give your answer. And for this, you can try saying just a simple phrase like, hey, let me get back to you on that. So if you're ever like kind of maybe you're deer in the headlights when somebody asks you to do something, just make that your default. Like, let me get back to you. According to this study, it's from March 2014, and it was by Columbia University Medical Center. The researchers found decision-making accuracy can be improved by postponing the onset of a decision by a mere fraction of a second. Quote, postponing the onset of the decision process by as little as 50 to 100 milliseconds enables the brain to focus attention on the most relevant information and block out irrelevant distractors. So studies have shown that the response accuracy can be improved by prolonging the decision process to allow the brain time to collect more information. So give yourself time. Give yourself as much time as you can to make a decision. Tip number five, I think. (laughs) Check in with your priorities. Figure out what you actually want to prioritize in your life. Tip six, set boundaries. So I did check my podcast, my prior podcast episodes about boundaries because there's so much to be said about this. But once you know what your priorities are, it's important to set boundaries. Next tip. Boost your self-esteem so you can rely on internal validation. It's really, really hard to say no to somebody when you feel like you've got nothing to offer and you feel like, I mean, when your self-esteem is just really low. Next tip, stop apologizing if it isn't your fault. Just don't, don't do it. I mean, of course, if it's your fault, apologize. But if it's not, don't. Next tip, try saying, I don't want to instead of I can't. So when you say, oh, I can't do that, that just gives people a little bit more wiggle room, especially toxic people, to be like, wait, you can't? Wait, please. You know, they will. They're going to take any little string you dangle in front of them. So try changing that to a more assertive. You don't have to be mean about it, but just say, hey, I don't want to do that. Next tip, I have some questions here that four questions to ask yourself. Where do you want to be in five years? What are you doing right now to get yourself there? What do you want to make space for? And what do you want to say yes? These questions can help you figure out what your priorities are and what you actually want to make space for in your life and what you want to eliminate. Final tip. Remember, you can't please everybody. Not everybody's going to like you. It's, It's impossible. 
awesome, guys. We made it through this episode. And before I sign off, if you like my content, please follow my Instagram at Codependent Recovery. I also published a workbook for people going through a divorce or a breakup. It's 98 pages. It's available worldwide. And it is awesome. I'm so excited. I really hope you guys are enjoying it. I will put the link in the show notes. There is a print version. I'm more of a pen and paper girl myself. And so I prefer, you know, having that physical copy. But there is an ebook version as well, if that's more your thing. I'll put the link in the show notes. I would love it if you guys, you know, get it. And if you do get it, please feel free to um, reach out to me and let me know what you think. I also, the other thing I wanted to bring up was I started an initiative, a Zoom hangout, and a Zoom book club. So there's two options. I'll put the link in the show notes for how to sign up for those. They're monthly hangouts where I am on them as well. If you want to talk to me, if you want to have some community, we had our first Zoom hangout the other day and it was really awesome. So I'm excited to see how that grows and how you guys enjoy it. And I also put in the show notes a link to a survey. So if you want to take survey and give me some feedback about the podcast it's anonymous um and it would definitely be appreciated so awesome thank you guys so much i look forward to seeing you next week there is a new podcast episode every single monday Woo! talk to you soon guys Woo!